And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Remember, these are the words of Christ, not the Apostle John. Jesus Christ is giving them to be written down by John. Sardis was one of the seven cities in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, southeast of Thyatira. Beginning in the south, the messages have been going in a, a clockwise circuit that will end at the church of Laodicea, but right now we're in Sardis. Sardis was not as prominent a city as some of the others, especially Ephesus or Pergamum, but it was a trade center. Multiple roads intersected there, and of course that led to a lot of people coming in and out. And it was a historically significant city. In the past, it had been the capital of the kingdom of Lydia, which was no longer a kingdom at this time, but in its day, it was rather important. There are references in the Old Testament to the land of Lud, L-U-D, that many scholars believe is in fact a reference to this kingdom. So, especially in the book of Genesis, when you read about those that were from Lud, L-U-D, Lud is how it would have been pronounced, this would have been near Sardis. There are also some that believe there was a king of Sardis whose name was Gugu, and it sounds silly to us, but many people believe that he was in fact the, the first of what the Bible would call Gog, which is significant if you know your Bible prophecy, and also is one reason among many why people believe Turkey is going to play a large role because that's where Gog originally came from. But that is disputed, just an interesting note. And Jesus identifies himself here as holding the seven spirits and the seven stars. We've already talked about the stars. The stars represent the churches. They represent the angels of the churches. We talked about what that meant, whether it's the pastor, whether it's just symbolic for the church as a whole, whether it's a guardian angel for the church. Uh, in any case, it represents the church. And the seven spirits is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And we discussed this at length back in chapter 1, that by referring to the Holy Spirit as the seven spirits of God, this is part of the heightened language of the book of Revelation. Uh, the sevenfold spirit, some have described him. It's a reference to perhaps Zechariah, where the Spirit of God was uh, pictured as the lampstand in the tabernacle, which had the seven branches and the seven lamps. Um, but in any case, it's referencing the Holy Spirit. And while this would be a fun doctrinal rabbit trail to go down, I will just say that as Western Christians, meaning not Eastern Orthodox Christians, this is a really good argument for why we believe the Holy Spirit proceeds not just from the Father, but from the Father and the Son. There was a dispute about that around 1000 AD. There were other issues involved, but that's why the Eastern and Western churches split uh, it was called the Great Schism. Some even call it the Great Divorce. And it was over, does the Holy Spirit find his eternal origin in the Father or the Father and the Son? 
And it would seem here that Jesus Christ holding the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God in his hand, would uh, say that that is right, that it is the Father and the Son. But the point he's trying to make by identifying himself this way is that Christ is head of the church. He holds the churches in his hand, which rep represents comfort, but also authority. I've got you in the palm of my hand, we say, right? That means I've got you right where I want you. And, of course, the Holy Spirit, who empowers and equips and convicts the church. Jesus said to his apostles, I will send you my Holy Spirit. So Christ is the head of the church. And one more note about Sardis as we move on here. Sardis was built on a, on a hilltop, a big sheer cliffside on, on one side of the town. And it was so difficult to attack that Sardis had a reputation for being impregnable. That you might conquer Lydia, but you're never going to conquer Sardis itself. So you might as well make peace with Sardis. But there are two historical stories of a time when Sardis was taken by surprise, conquered and sacked by other armies. The first was Cyrus the Great, who was the king of Persia. And the second was Antiochus III, which is not Antiochus Epiphanes. This was his, his ancestor, who was the, the Greek king that reigned also over the land of Judea at this time. In both cases, what happened was the armies sent soldiers up the side of this cliff face. It was so difficult to climb that people thought it was impossible. And it was so impossible to climb, they had not set any guards on that side of the wall. So these soldiers climbed up into the city, opened the gates, and the city was taken twice. Likewise, the church in Sardis had failed to keep watch. They had failed to preserve what had been given to them. This inheritance that could never be taken away, they had not kept watch of it. And now all that they had was a reputation that masked the fact that their religion was dead. And that is the subject of our study today, dead religion. We've spent some time in the book of Revelation talking an awful lot about cultural compromise, meaning churches that have been given over to the culture. And in so doing, we're criticizing the church, but we're more, more criticizing the world. And we must do that. The Bible does that quite a bit. It is not unloving to do so. It's necessary to do so. However, before we do that, we are to look inward and examine ourselves. Jesus said, do not try to remove the speck from your brother's eye if you've got a plank sticking out of your own eye. And that's what this is about today. Dead religion. We're not talking about them. We're talking about us in this passage. And the first thing we have to establish as we go through this is the reality of dead religion. That this is a real thing. When we say dead religion, it is possible. You might say, why, why is that the case? Well, it sounds offensive to identify anyone's religion as dead, does it not? That's a very big no-no in the United States today. To say that someone's religion is dead and doesn't count? You can't say that. It's all somebody's perspective. It's all somebody's opinion. Well, the Lord says that there is such a thing as dead religion. But you can even do this in the church. Where you can say, yeah, Islam is a dead religion, Mormonism is a dead religion, Hinduism, Buddhism. But if anybody is a Christian, you can't say their religion is dead. Only God can judge them. Isn't that the case? Well, Jesus knows Sardis. He says, I know your works. And he does not begin, as he does with all the other churches, with a commendation. Meaning, here's what you're doing well. He jumps right in and says, I know you have a reputation that you are alive. You have a name that you are alive. But you are dead. Jesus looks this church dead in the eye and says, you are dead. All your activity and all your religion is worth nothing in my eyes. 
But Jesus is drawing a distinction here between the reputation of a church, the name literally there in Greek, the name that a church has, and the reality of the church. There's a difference between the two. And this is what it means to have dead religion. For those of you that prickle when I say that, that someone's religion could be dead. It doesn't matter how it looks to other people. What matters is what's real. Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 27, and the Pharisees are kind of the poster boys for dead religion. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Have you ever seen Egyptian artifacts where they have these beautifully carved coffins basically and they're beautiful but you open up and what's inside it's a mummy inside it's dusty and nasty and gross and probably smells terrible it doesn't matter how beautiful it is on the outside that's how Jesus compares the Pharisees and those that have dead religion everything looks great but inside it's dead the church prior to the Protestant Reformation had dead religion they had a name that they were alive the church was unified there's only one church, there's only one God, and only one Christ. And you have to come here and find him. And the doctrine was that Jesus' blood has, has been shed for sins. But it was a dead religion because the priesthood was corrupt. And people were believing they could buy their religion. And they thought if I kept the ceremonies, it doesn't matter where my heart is. The church prior to the Jesus movement was dead religion. It was very sophisticated, very culturally relevant. It was very, had all its ducks in a row, very organized, very orderly. But all the kids growing up in the, those churches knew that it wasn't the real thing. It was dead religion. Does not matter what people think about you. You cannot judge your standing with God based on people's opinion of you. Well, my mom thinks I'm fine, so I'm probably okay. My friends believe I'm a very spiritual person, so I must be okay. There are some people that rather than look inward at themselves and say, how am I doing? They look around and say, what do people think about me? And if they think I'm good, if the pastor always gives me a big hug and says, praise the Lord, I'm so glad you're here, then I must be doing just fine. Doesn't matter how many people you fooled. There are some of y'all that know good and well that you are not doing this for real, but you know how to play the game and fool everybody. You know, when you're coming up and you're young and you're in a Christian family, you can be really good at that. I don't really want anything to do with this, but I don't want the hassle. So you know what, mom, dad, I'm just going to fake it. And you might have fooled them. And there are some people that are aggressive in their dead religion. Meaning if somebody ever questions them or comes up and asks them deep questions, they shame them into silence. How dare you ask me a question like that? Don't you know how long I've been in this church? Don't you know how much I tithe? Don't you know? And they give a long list of works that demonstrate that they're truly saved. Your reputation means nothing in the kingdom of heaven. Nothing. Zero. The last shall be first and the first shall be last because the Lord is the one that looks upon the heart, not the flesh. And note also that this was not the whole church of Sardis. All right, he says towards the end, he says, there are some of you that have not defiled your garments. Like in the other churches, he draws a distinction, which tells us you cannot be part of a good church and think that that counts. It's an individual matter. 
You can be part of a dead church and be rock solid with Jesus Christ. Just as there are, in, I would say, every dead religion and every dead denomination in church. There are those that have not defiled their garments. But you've got to flip this on its head. You can't be in a thriving church and think you're good because you're there. We evaluate ourselves as Christ does. And if all you have is the form of religion, then it doesn't count. So now that we've established that this is a real category that the Bible teaches... Let's define it a little bit. What are some of the characteristics of dead religion? Well, there's four that we can draw from this passage. First of all, the word that Jesus tell them, tells them is to wake up in verse 2. Literally there in the Greek, he says, become watchful. Be watching, he says. So wake up is a, is a dynamic translation. It's a good one. It's powerful. But he's telling them to become watchful. The first characteristic of dead religion is a careless attitude. Careless attitude. Not watchful. Not vigilant. Not standing on the wall to make sure no one is coming up through the back entrance. Specifically, this waking up is related to the coming of Christ. It wasn't as they were careless about anything. that They were careless specifically about the fact that Jesus was coming back to judge the living and the dead. He says, it's going to overtake you like a thief. Now, what, what does that mean, like a thief? You don't know when a thief is coming. In fact, you often don't know that the thief has come until he's gone. So Jesus says, you're going to miss it because you're not watching for me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul explained to the church there, he says, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. There's no urgency to dead religion. There's no sense of this could be done at any moment. Not only your own life, but Jesus Christ could return. Imminence of his return. There's no eternal perspective to dead religion. They never look at things from heaven's eyes. In fact, dead religion finds that kind of thing tiresome. Would you stop talking about heaven? We're living right now. That's what matters. Many times people who are pleased with where their life is going or are hopeful that their life will improve will have that attitude. Because the thought of going to heaven and losing all of this feels like you'd be missing out on something. Therefore, dead religion has very little time for evangelism, evangelism, missions, apologetics, defending the faith, talking to people about Christ, because so what? Yeah, yeah Jesus might come. I, I believe he will, but there's no, you haven't made that fact real. What's more important to you is coming off well in this conversation with a person rather than Jesus is coming back and this person is going to have to answer to Jesus Christ. There's no fear of the Lord. There's no sense about, what am I doing? Would I want Jesus to come back and find me doing this? That's dead religion. Have you ever been into a church that was dead as a doornail and they're out there? They're, they're just careless. It's not that they don't theologically believe these things. There's just no urgency. There's no sense in the church of, we've got to do this. They'd much rather sit and complain about the state of the world than get out and preach the gospel to the world. So what about you? Are you watchful or do you have a careless attitude? Does it ever even enter into your mind, Jesus might come back today. This person that I love who is going to hell, they're going to have to stand before God one day. 
Does that ever enter in your mind at all? Do you ever tremble at the things you've done and ask the Lord to forgive you because you know it might be today? If you lose an appreciation for the swiftly approaching end of all things, your religion will die. That's what had happened in Sardis. The second characteristic of dead religion, Sardis was dead and it says they were dying, right? You are dead and you've got some things that are about to die. So you, it's, like, it's like necropsy. It's just spreading through the church. Because, number two, they had incomplete works. Incomplete works. I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. That word for complete can mean fulfilled. In fact, it usually means fulfilled. It can mean perfect. So he's saying your works are unfinished. They're unfulfilled. They're incomplete. They're imperfect. It's not enough. You say, I thought we weren't saved by works. We're not. But Ephesians 2.10, which comes right after being saved by grace through faith, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What is dead religion? Dead religion carries around Christianity like a badge, like that thing on Facebook where you identify yourself Christian. Or some people try to get cute and say Christ follower, disciple of Jesus, like what you call it makes a difference. Is there sincerity there? Or is it just a title? You go to other countries, you go to Russia when we talk, do evangelism there. Are you a Christian? They say, well, of course. I'm not a Muslim. Right? You go to Costa Rica, I've been to Peru. Are you a Christian? The answer will always be yes. I'm peruano. I'm Tico. Of course I am. That's, that's what we do. Uganda is a Christian country. If you live here, if you're not Muslim, you're Christian. But is that how God defines Christianity? It's not. There's some of y'all, I'm Southern. Of course I am. I'm a Republican, of course I'm a Christian. I'm conservative, of course I'm a Christian. That's not the same thing. Your works are incomplete, meaning there's no fruit. I'm an apple tree. There ain't no apples on your tree. And you can come in, you can say, how dare you judge my apple tree? Don't you know that what makes an apple tree is the DNA? Okay, fine, but you can't see that, and neither can I. The way we know it's an apple tree is, are there apples on it? Well, it's the heart that makes me a believer. Yes, but a regenerated life is going to produce good works. So what's up with you? Incomplete works. Dead religion. Promises made to the Lord are never fulfilled. God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you forever. God, if you get me through this one day, I promise I'll never do this again. Vows and commitments to the Lord die on the vine. How many people have gone forward and said, yes, Lord, you can use me on the mission field. I'll go. Only to get home and have their mom or dad give them a strong talking to, and then they say, I never mind. Incomplete works. Opportunities that a church has to serve and to reach out are wasted from a lack of support and manpower. The things that a church could do or that a Christian could do don't go fulfilled because the rest of the church or the rest of that person's life is dead and there's no urgency and there's no desire to fill these things up. There's no sense of destiny with dead religion that I've got a life that God has given me and I'm going to go out and find what it is that I owe Christ my life. You find people, and I've known some, that I truly believe that God had lifted up and called to be world beaters for Jesus, man. And their lives just shrivel up and it never pans out. And they go off and they do other things and they're never satisfied and they're never happy because in the back of their soul, the Lord is saying, I've already placed my claim on you. But they work so hard to quench that voice in their life. Have you done that? 
Have you decided to disregard your destiny in Christ so that you can serve yourself? If you do, your religion will die. Number three was the third characteristic of dead religion. It was a forgotten gospel. They'd forgotten the gospel. He says, remember what you've received and heard and keep it. What you've received and heard, what is that? These are terms in the Bible that talk about the gospel that came to you. Now, we don't know whether it was Paul or Apollos or Priscilla and Aquila, whoever brought the gospel there. They heard it, they received it, but they weren't keeping it. They had received something that was unassailable by the world, yet they were letting people scale the cliff face. A forgotten gospel. How could you forget? How can you be a Christian and not, not know the gospel? It happens every day. There are people that get together and they have altar calls that have nothing to do with the blood of Jesus or forgiveness of sins. And that's not just those that have a soft serve Christianity. There can be those that are a hard in your face religion and they are calling people to come forward and do what? Receive the grace of Jesus? Or sign our, our ledger so that you can be part of our denomination? 2 Peter 2, 1 and 2 warned us, Peter warned us, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. But many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. When the gospel is just lost, the good news of salvation by grace through faith is just forgotten. Now, one way it can happen is just an obsession with trivialities. A church that hasn't talked about the gospel in years because they spend all their time arguing over little points of eschatology. Or they spend all their time talking about cultural matters and addressing this wrong theory and this wrong thought. And you never get around to preaching grace through faith. There are some that are so obsessed with the justice of God and helping the poor and raising up the downtrodden that they see the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith, death and resurrection on the cross as a hindrance to true religion. There are others who spend all their time fighting against that stuff that they never come and talk about what's true. They only talk about what's false. And the church forgets. Philosophies and ideas from the world. They, they prepare their Bible study by bringing together all the different reading and podcasting and things that they've encountered in the world, and they preach a Christianized version of that. It's sad to say, I'm sad to say, when I was a, a much younger preacher and first learning to do this, I can think back on a couple messages and go, You weren't preaching Jesus. You were preaching something, but you weren't preaching Jesus. You were preaching something else you had read somewhere, some video you had watched that week. And those people lack love because they've forgotten the gospel. They've forgotten that they were saved by grace through faith. So they have no patience with other people because all they can think about is, why don't you get your act together? Not realizing that you don't get your act together. You come and receive salvation first. And then God cleans you up. And this also, not does it lead to a lack of love for others, it leads to a lack of love received for yourself. An insecurity. Because if you forget the fact, how am I saved by the blood of Jesus? You're going to be insecure because every time you're up and down, you're going to be back and forth wondering, where do I stand before God? And so you look to external things to validate you. If you forget the gospel, even for a moment, the devil will come for you and your religion will die. That's why we share in communion so often. 
Because we have to remember. Remember. And the fourth characteristic of dead religion, according to this passage, he mentions that most, in verse 4, had soiled garments. They were corrupted by sin. Sardis was famous, and there are some historians who even believe that Sardis was the first city in the world that learned how to perfectly dye cloth and linen white. I mean, you, you, obviously, we have uh, sophisticated processing today. We can get any color we want. But back then, I mean, you would have linen or you would have animal skins or whatever. So white was kind of a, an unavailable color because you could never get it that clean. You could never get that, that dye into it. And Sardis mastered that. And here comes Jesus saying, but most of y'all are walking around with soiled garments. I gave you a white robe and you soiled it. Clean garments in the Bible are a picture of righteousness that's found in Christ alone. Remember in Matthew 22 when he tells the parable of the wedding feast, that he invites all these people to the wedding feast and they come in, but he comes and finds one who did not have a wedding garment and he casts him out. So that's kind of strange. What is that? Well, it's not about dress code. It's about you don't have the righteousness that Christ provides. And Revelation 7.14 explains that these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's like the book of Isaiah. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. We can't even get all the red out of the white shirt today. But Jesus comes, I'm going to wash you in my blood and it's going to be pure white. It's going to be clean not a speck of filth on it. But what happens? Dead religion is when the church takes upon themselves the name and the righteousness of Christ and begins to soil it and begins to compromise and cover themselves with iniquity and pick your poison. Dead religion engages in sexual immorality of all stripes and all varieties. There are how many people want to walk in a sinful, sexually permissive lifestyle and then claim, I, God is going to save me and you can't say anything about it. How many people are engaging in greed and materialism and never even stop to think that God might have a problem with it? Who underpay the employees and manipulate contracts and work the system to get their way and then come to church and raise their hands and say hallelujah. All manner of debauchery, drugs and alcohol and addictions, self-indulgent sloth. How many gluttonous people come to church and think God doesn't have a problem with them? How many lazy sluggards walk through the door and want to claim the grace of Jesus? How many people have made their rage a virtue? Theft, even murder. We meet people in the prisons every week that have committed the most vile things you can, you can believe and don't believe they need to repent because Jesus has forgiven me. And yet they continue to do things like that every day. So what about you? Are you soiling your garments? So, well, I thought once we get the righteousness of Christ, we can't mess it up. Don't worry about the doctrine right now. Just listen to the passage. He's talking to you. If you engage in constant, persistent, willful sin, your religion will die. You cannot serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate one or despise one and love the other, Jesus said. Dead religion. You've got to heed the warning that Christ gives, the warning to dead religion. Does any of that describe you that I just went through? Maybe not all of it, but does some of it? If it does, you've got to heed the warning that he gives. 
What does he say he's going to do? I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Jesus will come against you. If you fail to correct this, Jesus tells them, on that final day when I return, it's going to be against you. I believe it is Amos in the Old Testament who says, why do you desire the day of the Lord? It's not going to be good for you. It'll be darkness and not light. Hear what the Lord says. Do you get what Jesus is saying? There are those in the church who are walking around with every confidence of heaven against whom Christ himself will ride and strike down with a sword on that final day. They're sitting in the pews. They're singing on the stage. They're giving tithes and offerings. And they believe they're going to be good. But that day will come and they'll look for Jesus and Jesus will strike them down. Matthew 7 Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everybody who raises their hand to make a decision for Christ will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, Jesus warns, many will say to me. How many? Many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Didn't we call out false teachers? Didn't we go on mission trips? Didn't we tithe? Didn't we? Lord, look at all these things. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. It's not enough to be here. It's not enough to point out the faults of other people. It's not enough to say, look what they're doing wrong. I'm really good by their standard. That's not how God grades it. There are some today that are walking around blaspheming God in all manner of debauchery and wickedness who will repent at the last minute and be saved. And there are others who have been in church their whole lives. They're going to close their eyes and open them not to salvation but to judgment because their religion is dead. It's not just the ideal. I know the ideal is to be zealous for Christ. I know the ideal is to do... But, you know, we all stumble. We all fall short. Jesus said, if you do not hate your father and mother and even your own soul, you cannot be my disciple. I won't allow it. You can't be my disciple. He who does not take up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If you have not died to yourself, your religion is dead. It's useless. It means nothing. It will not count before God. Haven't you ever gone to some government agency, DMV or wherever, and you fill out all the forms and you hand it to them, and they say... You, these are no good. This isn't what I need. I need something else. And they send you away, no matter how much you beg and plead. Do you want that to be the case when you get to heaven? Do you stand before God and you've got your file all organized? And why should I let you in? Well, as you see, Lord, I was a member of a church for 40 years. I went on a couple mission trips and I tithed. You can see the total amount that I tithed. It's rather impressive. And Lord, I always voted the right way. He's going to say, this is invalid. This is no good. I can't receive this. What do you mean you can't receive this? I was part of the church. He goes, yeah, but your religion was dead. There was no life. There was no vibrancy. There was no blood of Jesus covering your life and then pressing you on. Dead religion will weigh you down. It weighs you down your whole life. It'll weigh you down on your deathbed until it drags you down into hell when your soul leaves your body. That's the warning. Jesus said, I will come against you. All the majestic, glorious descriptions of Christ we've been given. He is against you if your religion is dead. As it was in the church of Sardis. Now is there any hope? Is there any cure 
for dead religion? There is. Radical, immediate, amputative surgery that we call repentance. He says, repent. Keep it and repent. Keep that gospel and repent. What does it mean to repent? We have to know this word, right? Repent. It means to turn away from the old life and come after the new one. It means to change the way you're thinking. I'm not going to think and act like this anymore. I've got a bunch of useless theories and slogans about life that aren't helping me or helping anybody else. I'm going to give them up and stop thinking that way. Repentance. He says, if you repent, then we're good. If you renounce all that stuff, if you renounce your carelessness in regards to Christ, your carelessness regarding eternity, if you renounce the soiled garments, the sin in your life, then, then it'll be all right. Christianity is about identification with Christ, dying with Christ and coming up to rise again with Christ to a new life. Paul had dead religion. Paul had an aggressively dead religion. Paul thought he was serving God by rounding up Christians, separating families, throwing them into the prison, and watching them executed. He was like a, an early jihadi coming after Christians. They deserve to die, so let's go get them. But when he encountered Jesus Christ on the road, he realized his religion was worthless. All these things he was doing to please God meant nothing. So he writes later in Philippians 3, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness of God that depends on faith. He says, I need to know Jesus. I need to give up my own attempts to save myself and take this seriously. Throw myself on the mercy of Jesus and say, God, that's all I've got. Those that are very often deep in their sins have an easier time doing this than those that are rather impressed with themselves. Because if you've hit rock bottom, you know you've got nothing to offer God. And Jesus says, I don't need anything from you but your life. And you go, well, it's not much, but you can have it. But those that have it all together, that have money, that have a career, that have a family, they say, I to, what do you mean give all this up? It's not all bad. Paul says, I've counted all things as loss. Not neutral, not beneficial. It goes in the negative column. It's a mark against me. Because every one of these things means I should have known better. It's effort that should have gone towards Christ. It's attempts to justify myself before God. But even if you've had an experience like that before, I had a day where I came and I bowed the knee to Jesus and I said, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you my whole life. What is he saying to this church in Sardis here? You've got to finish. You've got to finish the race. It doesn't matter your theological position on these things. It all amounts to the same thing. You've got to finish. And if you are not finishing, I have no assurance to give you. I only have warnings for you. Dead religion. You've got to repent. Say, I don't want this anymore. I don't want dead religion anymore. I just want to throw myself on Jesus, whatever it means. God, you can take my life. You can take my marriage. You can take whatever. I, just, I have to give it to you. That's when the Lord says, all right then, now I can do something with this. Here's the thing too, dead religion is of no use to anybody. Yeah. Even the world mocks dead religion. 
in the church. If you're resenting your discipleship with Christ, you're probably doing it wrong. If you're trying to justify yourself through your works, well, of course you're not going to like it. So why not leave that behind and do it for real? Because it'll cost you an awful lot more. That's the alternative to dead religion, Christians. There is abundant hope to be found for those who will walk worthy with the Lord in sincerity. Sincerity, not just doing it because we do it, doing it for real. And he gives them three blessings that he promises them. Number one is, is the garments of the righteousness of Christ. I'll clothe them in white garments. You won't need your own righteousness. Christ will give you his. And his is perfect. I'm telling you today, you can have the holiness of God for free. That's the first blessing. The second blessing that you see is a place in his book. I'll never blot your name out of the book of life. That when you stand before God, it says, everyone whose name was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. How would you like the Lord to be calling down the roll and your name is called? That's the second blessing. You can know for sure that you're going to heaven, not hell. And number three, he says, I will confess you before my father and his angels. Jesus Christ will vouch for you when you die. When you stand before God and the angels carry your spirit to heaven and you stand before the Lord to be judged, Jesus himself will stand there with the marks in his hand and say, Father, this one is mine. I cover him with my blood. And Satan will stand there accusing, don't you know what she did? Don't you know what he, don't you know the websites he looked at? Don't you know the conversations she had? Don't you know the, the demons and the occult that she was involved with? And Jesus is going to say, Father, we've already covered this one. Yeah. And the Father is going to say, then, then you have no accusation to offer. Because my son is righteous and he's extended his righteousness over them. This is real religion, a spiritual relationship with Christ. Knowing him like you know a friend, not just religious activity. When religious activity is done from a heart of sincerity and love for the Lord, there's nothing better. But when there's no heart at the bottom of it, there's nothing worse because it's deceptive. Paul continued in that passage from before, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul said, my one goal in life, you know, I'm one of those guys, I love to set like monthly targets and weekly to-do lists and yearly goals. I love that. And I was reading that passage when I realized what my life long goal is and ought to be. What's the one thing I want to accomplish more than anything else? To rise from the dead. That's my goal. But the thing is, there's not a thing I can do to get there. I've got to throw myself upon the mercy of Jesus Christ. And the good news is, he's the one offering it to me and offering it to you. You'll have your spot waiting for you if you abandon those dead works. Your faith, if it's alive, you can take comfort. But y'all, if your religion is dead, then nothing I just said is for you yet. Until you repent. As we come to a conclusion now, Jesus mentions blotting out names from the book of life. In Exodus 32, 32, Moses prayed to the Lord, said, Forgive these people, but if not, blot my name out of your book. In the psalm, Psalm 69, 28, David prayed that the Lord would blot the names of those that had oppressed him out of his book. 
And then Jesus says, I'll never blot your name out, which, which raises the question, is that a possibility to be blotted out of the book of life? Here's what I will tell you. That's what this passage is saying. And you can marshal all sorts of other passages that give all kinds of great assurance. That's wonderful. But you can never use the passages that give assurance to undercut the ones that are giving a warning. Jesus says, don't think that because you were there once that you're there now. For all you know, you could be seeds sown among thorns or sown among stones. It looks great now, but the cares of this world are going to choke it out someday. Or you have no root, so that hardship will come and scorch you one day. Or it was set on the path and it was just picked up and it was just a moment that you had. Until you finish, you've got to act like you're not done. Well, Jesus would never blot our names out. Well, he's giving it as a promise, which tells me, this warning means nothing unless that's a legitimate possibility. Put it this way. If you sign your name up for heaven, but you live like hell your whole life, then hell is where you'll go. Which is why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, and I say to you today, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. There are folks that will stand up and tell you that questioning your salvation is a lack of faith. Paul tells us, examine yourselves. If you were looking at you from the outside, would you say that person knows Jesus? Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? The Lord is calling us to a living faith, not the forms of religion, not go to church and read your Bible and tithe and do all these things and serve in children's ministry, set up chairs, and argue online with people that don't like Jesus. That's not religion. That's the form of religion. But the substance is Christ. And if you don't know Jesus, then it means nothing for you. 1 Peter 4.17 says, Judgment is coming, but judgment must begin with the house of the Lord. And I will tell you, dead religion is a very distinct American problem. Churches are like Starbucks in this country. They're everywhere. If, and, and this city alone, thousands of churches, even in places like Seattle or New York or wherever, there are thousands of churches. So if all those churches were living, vibrant churches, how do you explain what's going on? How do you explain the state of things in this nation where the churches are declining and fading? How many dead churches are going to meet this morning for just another meeting so that they can finally go home and say they did their bit for the week? And not only is it an American problem, it is a Southern problem specifically. Because we pride ourselves on living in the Bible Belt. It's part of our culture. It ain't part of the culture in Oregon. It's not part of the culture in New York City or Massachusetts or Northern Virginia. It's part of the culture here, which means... Paganism, outright paganism, is not really the temptation we've got to worry about as much. What we do need to worry about is dead religion. Churchism. Going to churchism. This is why I believe so many churches get caught up in all kinds of carnal stuff, whether it's sin or politics or any such thing, because there's no spiritual life there. They're careless in their attitude. Yeah, Jesus is coming back, but I don't want to be pushy about it. I don't want to be one of those guys. Their works are incomplete. The opportunities, the fields are white and the harvest right in front of them, and nobody's doing it. The gospel's never brought up. 
except perhaps as a formality at the end of the message so that they can register decisions with the denomination and still get the funding they need. We are loaded with dead religion. But remember, it's an individual matter. So here's your question. Are you walking in dead religion or are you walking in a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ? Judas walked with Jesus for three years. It was dead religion. Demas walked with Paul for years. It was dead religion. You know people that walked with you your whole life with Jesus and then abandoned him because it was dead religion. So what do you have? Do you have dead religion or is it the real thing? And here's my second question. If there's even a chance that it's dead religion, do you want it to be the real thing? Would you like to taste the living water for the first time? Would you like to encounter Jesus personally, not just secondhand? Can't you feel the stirrings of awakening and revival in our country? I'm not just talking about what's happened in Kentucky, what's happening downtown. I'm talking about, I'm talking to other pastors. And they're all saying the same thing. It feels like the Lord is, is working on something. It's like God's going to do something. Our pastor's group that meets once a month, somebody texted this morning and said, fellas, I believe the Lord is about to pour out his Holy Spirit on these churches. Well, revival begins with the church crying out to the Lord. Doesn't begin with signs and wonders. Doesn't begin with mass conversions. Doesn't begin with societal change. It begins with the church crying out to the Lord. Repentance, worship on your face before the Lord. I don't believe that we are a dead church. I prayed about this quite a bit yesterday. Because I want to be honest. I want to be, be real. I don't believe Calvary Chapel Trustville is a dead church. But there can be dead branches on a tree that Christ will prune if they do not bear good fruit. And there can be things in our midst that need to be strengthened so that they don't die. Do we have a watchful attitude here? We need one. That we are living every day in anticipation of the return of Jesus. Not just the rapture, but the fact of heaven and hell and judgment. We need to have fulfilled works. We need to find everything that God has called us to do. And that no spiritual gift goes unutilized and no opportunity is not met. To fill what God has called us to do. We need to honor the gospel in this place. That salvation is not through any such thing. That somebody walking through that door that doesn't know any of the, of the stuff about the Bible, they can be saved today. That they don't need to conform to any of our culture if they have come to Christ Jesus. And number four, we need to have pure garments. We've got to stop sinning, Christians. We've got to stop it. Stop acting like it's okay because you're saved. It's not okay because you're saved. There's grace to fail, get up, and keep trying. There is not grace to camp out and say, well, I guess this is my life now. Now is the time for you to make the decision to either come to life today or continue in death today.